Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your life. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network, sponsored by Sunbury Press, the publisher of paperback, ebook, and hardcover books uh, <laughs> in a variety of categories, distributed worldwide wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, and tonight we're going to talk about the Devil Tree of Port St. Lucie, Florida. Back in the 1970s, a series of bizarre incidents occurred at what has since been known as the Devil Tree. Beneath this ancient denizen, evil was wrought by a sick serial killer calling upon forces most evil and dark. People were hung there and bodies buried there, exhumed by the police. Overcome by superstition, some tried to cut down the tree to no avail. Since then, it has stood in a remote section of a local park left to its own devices quiet in its ear repose until now. Best-selling psychological thriller author Keith Rommel has imagined the whole tale anew. He's brought the tree to life and retold the tale with gory detail, only possible in a fiction novel. Action-packed, mind-tingling detail, this thriller is beyond parallel in the ground it uncovers. One author's explanation of what may have really been said, what may have really happened under Port St. Lucie's devil tree. Keith Rommel, welcome. Thank you. This is some creepy stuff. Thank you. Yeah. And uh Yes it is. I guess you live on the Treasure Coast and for a time in Port St. Lucie. Uh maybe you could tell us how you got interested in the Devil Tree. Yeah, at the time I was living in Port St. Lucie and uh I had a Facebook friend that messaged me. And wanted me to go see this tree called the Devil Tree, and I had never heard of it before. And uh, we had made tentative plans to go see the tree, and it didn't pan out. So I had a curiosity that needed to be uh, cured, so I went on my own search of this tree and started to uh, learn about the tree and what the background was behind it. And I remember when I went first looking for the tree – I couldn't find it. I was inside the Oak Hammock Park where this is located. It's actually located just outside the park. Well, inside the park, but outside the park area. And uh, I was looking all over for it, and I couldn't find it. And there was a, a couple, you know, like a group of kids. And I asked them, I said, is, is there a devil tree around here or something? And the kids pointed me in the direction that I needed to go. And I remember walking down the path, and as I curve around, there's this absolutely massive oak tree that just overtakes a real large area of the forest. Very, very big canopy. Real pretty tree. So that's how it all started. Now, uh, the events that happened at this tree were back in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, or was it right. early, even earlier right. than that? It was yeah, in the 70s. So, I mean, there are things that date back earlier than the, than the actual serial killer. But the events of, of the devil tree with the killer uh, took place in the 70s. So I know you've 
written two books, The Devil Tree One and Devil Tree Two, The Calling. Uh, you could have written a nonfiction recounting of all the things that happened there, but uh, tell us why you fictionalized this. I, I know you're a fiction author generally, but um, what did that allow you to do? Well, that allowed me to put the readers into the right into the perspective of the characters that may have been involved. I did change the names with the exception of uh, the killer himself. And what I did with the killer himself is I just did a slight variation of a spelling of his last name. And I just dropped one of the F because his last name is Schaefer. So I just, I didn't want to put the victim's names in there. Um, but I certainly wanted to put in the essence of the things that I learned of what this guy did. And it also allowed me to, to pull it in from the 1970s and into the present day and give an explanation of what these people might have gone through. I've, I've learned a lot of what they went through and what this guy did and what made him tick, so on and so forth. But I wanted to blend it with, as I do with most of my writing, I blend it with facts and fiction. And with this one, it was facts, fiction, and legend. So it allowed me to explore and expand and bring a reader onto just a regular journey rather than them feeling like, in my opinion, reading an article. It tells a story, and it tells a story through the perspective of many different characters' eyes. And it actually follows the chronological order of what this killer did and um there are slight variances because again it's it's you know made to be fiction and it's made to have a complete story within itself so that's that's what i did i didn't really leave any too many open ends but i did as you uh, had said i created a second book called the devil tree the calling and i wanted to deal with not only the devil tree itself, but the things that go on around the devil tree, because it's not just the tree itself that people say are haunted and they feel that it's haunted. And there's ruins back there, uh, chick, you know, fences of chicken wire. There's foundations of husks from buildings, whatever they were. And uh, I wanted to deal with, again, the aftermath of not only book one, dealing with the killer, but book two, dealing with some of the interaction that I had with some people as I was interviewing people around and learning about the devil tree and the things that I was told that happened, had been happening there for years uh, in the, in the immediate area, in the immediate time frame, kind of like around the time that I was writing this book. And I still haven't given the big reveal of the thing that I learned. I, I Easter egg it in the second book, but I haven't uh-huh. really said what the big thing that I learned from some of the people that are active at the tree that go there and, and uh, use the tree for, you know, uh, whatever it is that they go there and do. You know, everybody goes there. Some people go there out of curiosity. Some people go there to experience the, the paranormal, the supernatural, and other people, I believe, go there and they try to conjure things up and stir things up. And in just my opinion alone, just all of the people that this tree brings, I think it just creates an energy around it just to begin with because so many people are interested in the tree and a lot of people go there. 
So that's why I wrote yeah. the two books. Well, let's let's separate. I mean, we'll, we'll cover all this, but let's separate the criminal from the metaphysical or the uh, the energy and the, the the things that people say are going on there. We'll come back to that. But the the factual things that are r- rolled into this story about Schaefer, if you could tell us a little bit about Schaefer, I mean, the truth is there actually were people murdered at that tree. And uh, yes. that's pretty creepy, just in and of itself. So if you could tell us a little bit about Schaefer, and without giving away too much, uh, you know, give us a little bit of that story. I'm going to give you uh, some little history about him that he was, he was really kind of messed up really from childhood. Uh, young age, he had an obsession with trees. I don't know what the exact obsession was, but he had a girlfriend. They would tie each other up to a tree and they would fake killings and all sorts of just bizarre, uh, deviant sexual acts with each other, role playing and stuff. And uh, he didn't have a good relationship with his dad, and he was a little bit envious of the relationship that he had, that his, um, excuse me, that his sister had with the father. So I think that that had something to do with the way that Schaefer would do things such as, you know, dresses women. And, you know, you have to remember that this is a much different time than it is now, where in the 1970s, this wasn't really perceived as, uh normal behavior or it it would just be out of the ordinary. It would be like something very, very glaring, like, you know, just, uh, but he did it in private. He did it in secret and he eventually admitted these things and he was, uh, involved in everything from the school systems to being, being involved in police work in two different counties and he failed the police test and he still ended up getting on the force. And again, without giving away too many things, he eventually got caught. And when he got caught, he tried to cover it up by Mm -hmm. calling his uh, captain and, you know, saying, Hey, listen, I did something really, really bad. And then he went to prison after that and they tied him to 35 plus murders. And I believe they wow. convicted him only on two. So to put things into perspective, I always try to tell people this, there's, there's some things about it that kind of bothers me as I was, ex, you know, exploring around this behavior that this guy had that, that there's so many bodies left in his wake, but they never concluded these cases and only convicted him on two when they expect him of 35 plus some of the more popular serial killers like Dahmer son of Sam. I mean, you could, I'm sure you can name off, you know, five easy off the top of your head and all these people have fame and I'm not looking to make this guy famous. I'm looking to kind of shed a light on in my view of what went on here and what about these 32 plus other souls or 33 plus other souls that are, their case isn't really closed. Yeah. So how did they know so it always left me with five? Is that, yeah, did he admit to that many? He's, 
this guy has admitted to so many things and then retracted his statements and he used just he he would just play games and he would play games with other inmates. He ended up getting killed in prison because his his room his his bunkmate stabbed him to death because the oh, guy God. would send letters that he was acting like a woman to other prisoners. He was just really just a bizarre kind of guy and there's a a book that he wrote and it's just really bizarre dark uh real real dark things that this guy wrote and and it it did go to publication but there's very very few copies and i know that the copies are very very expensive you could see pictures of some of the pages that he wrote he, it's just it's just very very dark and this guy was not a a nice guy to come across do we know how many of the 35 were involved with the devil tree well, just the they two, convicted him on or... two. Yeah, they convicted him on yeah. two, and the the thing is, is that they found bodies from where, even from where he was teaching, and I can't remember the town right now, but it was it was here in Florida. And after he was found, you know, after he was found guilty of these things, and they what ended up happening was the police went to his house and they found all sorts of trinkets. And then originally Schaefer was blaming this male roommate that he had. And of course they found that not to be true. And they found out that it, of course that it was, that it was Schaefer. And uh, that's how they tied him to all these other murders. And they only had, they had enough evidence from what I read and an FBI profiler profiled this guy. And they pretty much said that this guy had everything possibly wrong with him that a serial killer could have wrong with him. He was a nasty, nasty guy, but they felt satisfied enough that they could put him away for life with those two. So that's what they did. They put him away with the the two murders. Now you talk about the history of the tree and the area around the tree. Also, it's interesting that you mentioned Schaefer's fascination with trees when he was young almost like the tree was calling him in some way or he had some connection to it before he even knew it. Uh, Was there ever any connection in the media or the news about the devil tree and Schaefer um, back then, or did it it become sensationalized afterwards? I think it really became sensationalized afterwards. I really do. Um, He he just had his the the attention that this guy created around him was he was like most narcissistic people he was smarter than everybody else and he again when he was in prison he would just play games i did this i know where the bodies are um i killed a pregnant woman does that count as one or two just really, really out there, bizarre stuff, and just real ruthless. Mean, of course. I mean, that's you know, that's ruthless and and just absolutely you know unfathomable. But he's left quite awake in his path, and I'm actually absolutely surprised when I started my investigation of the tree on how little interest was around this guy. And how absolutely mean he was, and again, what he had done, and the amount of people that he had affected 
through his his time, his rampage. And of course, he started as a little kid killing animals and stuff like that. So he was doing that stuff too. It's just a lot, a lot of things around this guy that you could just see the flags all over the place. And they were going on for quite some time. And then, you know, he made a, he made a very, very big error. And that error, which is kind of the twist of the story that I inserted into the book, which is true, he did make a, a very, very big error, and it actually got him caught. So, And it's how he got caught. Who he was, what he was doing, and how he got caught is what is really just the interesting, the whole crux of the story, which is just so interesting to me. So we would say that The Devil Tree won the novel is not set back in the 70s. You bring it more into recent times. Make it contem- you make it contemporary. But the gist of the whole I thing, do. the plot, I... is, uh, is all pretty much historic and accurate based on a Correct. true story. Yeah. Yes, and I include all of, the, all of the legend, things surrounding around the legends, the, the markings on the tree, and explain through uh, in paperback form in the back of the book, as you well know, we inserted pictures of the tree, detailed explanations of what had happened in this particular area of the tree and how that correlates inside the story. The first chapter I know was written into the 1970s. We did we had decided that we were going to start book with that, and it, and it right. was just to, to have the settings of the 70s, and then it immediately pulls forward and uh, pulls into today. So that way the the reader is not, uh, you know, we're not bogging them down. That's the way I felt. I didn't want to bog people down with the details of the 70s. I wanted to have them relate to this story in a more modern sense where they could see how somebody would get away with what this person did and, again, how they did it, what they did, where they did it, to who they did it with. So it, it was important to me to tell a little bit of a different story, but keep the, like you said, keep the the really finer details intact in through the story. So that way, because you could literally look this up and read an article that's, that we have reprinted in the back of the, the Devil Tree One book, and you can get a summary of the story really quick. So to me, it was – it deserved more than that, and that's how this universe building went on for me, and I needed to share so that universe to yeah. get the reader in. Let's go back to the, the legends. Now, now, were these legends I, – I know you didn't grow up in that area. You moved into that area later, so – and this was, you you moved there well after Schaefer and his activities, but – from what you learned, were the legends active before Schaefer? Was there always some talk about that area being haunted or uh, having some kind of nefarious things going on? Or do you think the legends were were created after um, after Schaefer? Of all the people that I've interviewed, and I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot, and there's still to this day there's people that are saying, hey, 
you know, I have some information or, hey, I have experiences. And I've spoken to so many people, spoken to a paranormal investigative team that was always, always there. And they were giving me warnings of things such as, um, you know, you're going to find yourself, you're going to keep going back to the tree. It creates this negativity in your life, and they were telling me to be careful of it. And it was really bizarre and weird because I didn't realize how how much I kept going to the tree. I was going to the tree by myself, and I was staying there at night by myself to try to experience something. I was searching for that experience that these people were talking about. And then I finally realized after I had finished actually – Devil Tree to the Calling, which that title was very, very intentional on my end because that's how I felt with the tree. I felt that when I was doing my writings, whether it was the Devil Tree or any of my other work, I was always thinking about the Devil Tree. It was almost like it kept calling me back and I kept going back. And I didn't know why. I didn't need to go there. I just kept going. So it was a weird thing. So to me, it's, it's something that had developed over a period of time as some people learned about this legend and more and more people go and more and more talk about it. And there's an awful lot of people here that know about this legend. And it deserves to be covered. So that's that's why I think that, again, that I wanted to cover it. I wanted to do it in a, in a different sense rather than, you know, just going off of police reports and saying X, Y, and Z. I wanted to build a universe, create it, bring the people in with the characters so that way they could kind of experience things the way that I was foreseeing them in my head as I was learning about this legend. Now this, I guess I'm, I'm just going to press you again about the legend of the legends that are circulating in the community and the people that you talk to, are they more about Schaefer in that time period or are there stories about the tree that go back in time, maybe back to native Americans or early settlers or some other horrific events that happened around the tree or nearby? I've heard that it's not and. I actually went there with a, a sensitive. And when I went there with a sensitive, the sensitive said that it's not, it's not demonic activity that's there, that it's elementals. I don't really know too much about that stuff, but this is what I was told. I kind of have thoughts on that, like, eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it's not just a tree. It's the, it's the area. There's a whole area in which that you kind of experience things. And, you know, one time I was in there, and I know my way around in there pretty good, even through the ruins and stuff like that. And I had gotten lost one night with a friend inside. It's not that big of an area to, to technically get lost. I mean, you can walk in one direction, and you're going you're gonna to get out in, you know, five, five minutes absolutely tops. But we were just so turned around, we couldn't figure out how to get out of there. It was just a really bizarre and weird night, and that was the night, the one and only time that I actually experienced anything that correlated with something that somebody told me. And it correlated with something that a Port St. Lucie police 
uh, deputy had told me, and it was really interesting because the guy made it his business to pull me to the side and kind of looked over his shoulder left and right to make sure that nobody was listening to what he said because the man's in uniform and he didn't want to you know, seem like, a, I guess, a crazy guy or whatever, and he told me his experience. And that experience I absolutely shared with him. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time. It took me some time to realize it after it happened because when the events were going on, I don't have a, a fleeing sense in me where bizarre things or strange things might be happening around me. I'm kind of like the type that's like, I'm like, hold on, hang on, hang out here and let me try to figure out what's going on. I want to use my logical brain here and try to figure mm -hmm. out what it is that I'm experiencing and why, where is this coming from? And no matter how much I try to figure it out, it just, it, the, it just got weirder and weirder for me. Now, these experiences, are they covered in the second book or... Uh, are these things not written about yet? They are not written about yet. I have not. I, I think I've spoken about it a couple of times on maybe Paranormal Zone TV. I did an interview with them, I don't know, some years back, maybe a year and a half, two years back. Really great interview there. I revealed some things that went on. I gave really great details of Schaefer and his background and his life and all the things that I learned. But some of those things I felt were kind of moot and irrelevant in the sense of the story that I needed to tell. But when I did the interview, I wanted to give the details to people so that way they knew, you know, they could really understand and grasp the gravity of all of these things that this guy did and all the connections that he had to just evil. Yeah. So the ruins that are nearby, did you, did you ever figure out what they were? Are you aware of what they were? There's still controversy around that. And it, it just, and right now I'm kind of smiling a little bit because it's no matter what, no matter what sort of explanation I'm given, and from however many different people, there's always variations to everything in this. And I suppose that's what makes some legends very interesting, is the mystique and the amount of bizarreness that's around the devil, tr the devil tree itself and around the area. It's just, there's so many stories, and then there's other people that are like, no, that's not right. So, for example, the ruins is there's a rumor that goes around and I, I, I'll, I'll get to what I discovered or at least what I had found out from an older gentleman that works the park for a very, very long time. There's a, a rumor that went around and it's still going around. A lot of people believe it because there's these foundations to these buildings that were there and it's cinder block and you see galvanized steel. And so I started actually doing investigations where I was starting to date things. Like when was cinder block created? When was galvanized steel created? When was chicken wire created? All of these things that I was finding in the area and photographing and like this old radiator and my brother's a custodial engineer for the New York city school district. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to him and I said, you know, can you make heads or tails of this? And we were talking about it. 
So ultimately, what end what what ended out I what I ended out finding out is, or at least this is what I was told. And again, this is to much people don't believe this. And again, that's the whole thing of the of the legend is that there's such strong beliefs. Everybody has beliefs in certain aspects of the legend. And it was believed that the killer was taking people into the ruins and doing the killings in there. And then, of course, ultimately bringing him to the tree, hanging him from the tree, burying him. And he was into necrophiliac and things like that. But uh, I had learned that it was a boy's home. And it wasn't called a boy's home back then. It was more like an orphan place. And that was the explanation. Nothing more, nothing less. And it was apparently from the 1940s or the 1950s. I can't remember exactly when, but that's when I started going in and I started looking at the dates of when was cinder block made, when was all of these things made that I had found inside and around that area, corrugated steel roofing that's just rotted away. So when people go back there, they have to be careful because there's metal back there and it's rusted out and it's sharp and it's, you have to be careful. There's some treacherous areas back there, but it's really interesting to see how the forest has taken over the area and rotted it down but also preserved it because the canopy above is so so thick with the forest it's a very thick forest the sunlight hardly reaches through now you said it's called oak hammock park was it a park back when schaefer was active or did it become a park since no i believe it had become a park since then it was not a park then st lucie wasn't you know, nearly as populated as it is now. St. Lucie is a very, very busy town. Kind of, I, I always say it reminds me of, because I grew up on Long Island, so it reminds me a little New York. That's how I always perceived it. And when I was working out in Port St. Lucie, I had worked out there for years and years and years. And uh, recently moved to Vero and still have friends and stuff that live in Port St. Lucie. But now I'm on this end of the Treasure Coast over here. And uh, I had been back to the tree, I think one time in the past year. And I have since discovered some more things that uh, Schaefer has done. And it's not mainstream like the devil tree. And this is going to absolutely intrigue people what I found out. I have a, another book that I'm planning possibly for 2020. And that will deal with this completely separate issue and part and I eventually probably will reveal what I Easter egg at the end of the book by just posting it and leaving it at a two book series so this other book you're talking about would it be fiction or nonfiction? I'm leaning towards at this point nonfiction. I'm going to go into the details of, of something that is just underneath the radar. And I just opened my eyes wide when I had come across this information. Very interesting. You're teasing us like uh, Geraldo Rivera <laughs> with, with uh, what's his name's vault. It's like, man, when can we find out? Yeah, I don't uh, you know, I don't want to give it away. I want to hang on. Fault. You know, we're, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a, 
I'm a I'm an artist. I'm a writer, so I got to take the information that I have and I got to preserve it, and you know, put it in as you well know, put it in the logical order and 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 tell the story and put it out there. And if it's interesting for people to read, by all means, you know, they should pick up a copy if they're interested in finding further out about what I'm learning. It's real interesting stuff. I don't want to give anything away about that because I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna Easter egg that other than what I just said. But it's definitely eye-opening, and it's kind of like a almost like a wow moment to me. Yeah, I'm really and interested. And studying in this guy, there's been what's that? I said I'm really interested in the police officer story, and you, you know, you brought that up and said he told you something. Is there anything more you can share with us about what he said? And you're just saying you were sure I could something abs- very I could- similar. Yeah, I could I could tell you absolutely what was said. It was it has to do with. He said to me that he had a call at the tree, and it was still light out, and he got out of the car, and he doesn't like going to the devil tree. He made that very, very clear. doesn't like going. He says, but i got to go and do my job. So he was going, walking down the path that leads you to the devil tree, which is you have the C-23 canal which is a wide canal. People fish out of there all the time. It's a very pleasant looking place. And the forest is to your left and he's walking down there and it's in the daytime and he hears an owl hooting at him. And he's a a Latino man and he thought somebody was in the forest hooting at him as an owl, like kind of teasing him. He also made it very clear to me, you know, cops like to play games with each other, you know, turn on the lights, turn on the sirens on each other's cars and, you know, just have a good time before they get out on the road and face their day. And he thought that he was actually being punked and he was radioing his friends and he says, guys, this isn't funny, you know, cut it out. And they were telling him back that this was not them and this was not a joke. And he proceeded to go to the devil tree and he kept hearing the flutter of owl's wings and the the calling of an owl hooting at him. And he got to the tree. The area was clear. The owl continues his thing. This guy starts, the hair starts standing up on the back of his neck. And he told me, he says, I'm not trained to run. I'm not trained to be afraid. He says, but I, I made a hasty retreat a real hasty retreat. And he says, and I'm a little embarrassed telling you this, but I, I did it. And he says, and I got into my patrol car and I instantly called my mom. So I'm like, hmm. I'm just really interested in what this guy is telling me because, you know, you, it's really humanizing him to me too, you know, cause you look at cops sometimes cause I don't do their work and I wouldn't do their work because that I'm not cut out to do that type of things. So, but it's nice to hear the the human side, but yet, you know, here I am hearing about how this guy was scared out of his wits and uh, he got to the patrol car and he says, yeah, I picked up the phone and I called my mother and he says, mom, I'm at the devil tree. And, and he says, you know, my mother speaks Spanish and I was talking Spanish to my mother and I was telling her that I'm at the devil tree and this is what I experienced. And I, my mother says, oh, you need to start saying prayers. And they started saying prayers together and he he had his cross on. He says that he got to his cross and he was rubbing his cross and he was real nervous. And I didn't understand at the time what the guy was telling me, but I had come to find out by the time that this guy walked away from me, he says, in my culture, 
an owl is a bad sign, especially during the day. So the event that happened to me mirrored that event. And in fact, I hoot, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. And I, sometimes I even shudder at myself just to hear myself saying this. But I was hooting back at the owl and the darn thing was hooting back at me. And it was like intelligent. And I had been at the devil tree for a little while and I was with a friend and my friend was absolutely freaking out. And that friend just so happened to be Latino. So um, huh. it, was, it made for a very, very interesting moment. And again, while, the, while it was going on, I didn't put two and two together. But I certainly started putting two, to two, two and two together afterwards and then telling my friend like, hey, there was this cop that told me this because – my friends pulling me in and they're like, get me out of here now. Get, come on. This isn't funny. And I'm like, stop, just let me figure this out for a second. Just stop. And they're pulling on me, pulling on me, like freaking out. And I'm like, and it started getting dark. And that's the time that I was just talking about a little earlier where I got turned around and I couldn't find my way out of there, which was really bizarre because I know my way in and out from all angles. I've been in there so many times. So just that whole event sounds a little silly but to me but it's it's true it's absolutely true that's that's my experience and that was the story that i was told by a police officer and again i didn't put the two and two together until days and days afterwards where i just started because it it had been months since that cop had told me that story and again i had like i had said i had spoken to so many people about this tree their experiences and after a while, you just get so much information, it starts falling out of your head. But that one certain, certainly came back to me. So he was scared. The police officer was scared before he even went there, done the legends based on knowing what happened there, most likely. And Well, I had, had a male a and a female. Just an evil, a sense of evil in the area or? They said that, I mean, yeah, there's people that just don't feel right when they go, like even the posts that I get on the, on the devil tree website or sometimes people that email me and stuff, they send me pictures and they're asking me if I see orbs and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that don't feel right at the tree. Me personally, when I go there, I don't, again, I've been there alone and I've been there in the dead of the night. I haven't experienced anything other than that owl. That's it. Mm -hmm. The only thing that was out of the ordinary for me. Uh, again, when I went there with the Miami Ghost Chronicles, the one lady is a sensitive and she was telling me because she heard me at the tree and I was telling the area that I was in that they're not allowed to follow me home. And she says, that's not going to work. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? And then she took me out of the park and then she started explaining to me what she was sensing and again, I kind of have like, I believe, but I'm really skeptical. So, um, you know, I listened to what she had to say. I respected what she had to say. And I kind of said, okay, you know, and just digested it my own way. And I've been back since. And I still say, you're not allowed to follow me home. And, and that's it. So this paranormal group, how many? How many have been out there? Just them, or a few others, or uh, that's your. Oh, aware there's, of? So, there's so many people, uh, so many people that go out there, and 
I learned some things about the paranormal group. I don't want to bring up their names or anything like that, but their time at the Devil Tree cost them friendships and health and a lot of other things. So it's well, it's a they, real bizarre. Go ahead. I was going to say. I was going to say they ex, their experiences, what they are able to uh, sense or or record or listen to. I know they use all kinds of different they, devices and things. Yeah, they sent me absolutely. They sent me some pictures. They sent me recordings. They were sending me videos. I've had people send me videos of ectoplasm and. Most people know what ectoplasm is nowadays. It's almost like a, it looks yeah. like a, a, like a glowing blob of this light that kind of just is in the air. It's really thick and it's just, just bizarre and weird. I've seen some like things mist. via footage and other, yeah. not even a mist because the, the ectoplasm is more like a, it's a floating in the air and it's, it's thicker than a mist. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes foot of light that kind of like swirls and kind of wobbles around in the air. It's re- really weird looking. Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, some really, really real. One person says elementals, which um, then you're getting into very early earth magic sort of uh, pagan beliefs. The uh, Are there any consistent like findings by these groups like it's a particular spirit a particular ghost or some kind of other activity or did they come back to this elemental as other people reported well, that, that in their research i've only heard yeah i've only heard the elemental from, from one sensitive um i've heard things of children i've heard things about nuns being on the path a lot of people say things about nuns. It's really weird. I don't. I can't find a tie to the nuns unless, for some reason, if that guy was accurate in telling me that, hey, this was a orphan or a boys' home, whatever you want to call it. Back then, they didn't call it that. You know, maybe people of the cloth went there. But why would people have visions of these nuns on the path? I don't understand. And. That's like a that's like a major one. That's that's a reoccurring one that I get a lot is nuns. I've seen nuns. Like I saw a nun, and I'm like, what? Like, I, I don't get it. But that's their experiences. So again, I take it. I mentally record it. Sometimes I record it in my notes, and if it comes up again, I'll share the information. If I ever find anything out, that's for sure. Wow. So what's next with the Devil Tree? I guess you're talking about this book, this nonfiction book. Um, yes. How far that, along are you with definitely. that? Is it something you're, you're just fleshing out right now? or? Yeah, it's in its infancy because I'm, as you well know, I'm busy with several of the projects and movies that I've had done uh, based off of my work. And I'm hoping to see those things through in uh, 2019 and, and be able to focus more on some of the the interest in the writings that I have and um and that being certainly one of them and it's it's I have my notes I got to dive it's just I'm not ready to do it yet I have other projects that I have to finish up and 
and uh, finalize them before I commit to any more of that. And there was actually a, uh, it was really interesting. I had, I think about a month and a half ago, I'm a guy, so I'm real terrible with time. I'm like that atypical guy that I just, I'm like, oh, it happened like a month and a half ago and it could have been six months ago. And I think I might have told you about that, that I had somebody reach out to me from the Discovery Channel and they're talking about covering the devil tree and they want to interview me for it. So I'm waiting to see if that pans out and fleshes out. And of course, I'm eager to chomp at the bit and share what I know and Hopefully they find this a worthy uh, subject to cover, and we'll we'll see if anything ever happens. We'll see if it progresses. Well, I know uh, we should also mention that Keith is a very, very busy guy, as he mentions, and he's a bit modest about his writing. He has a series of books out called the Thanatology series, The Cursed Man, The Lurking Man, The Sinful Man, of the first three. And the first two in that series have actually been shot as movies and are in various stages of distribution, The Cursed Man and The Lurking Man. So any news you can tell us about those movies? Anything imminent? Uh, The Cursed Man. The Cursed Man's The Labor of Love. That was the first one. My breakthrough moment. Um, It's hard to describe to people because um, there's a lot of ups and downs associated with well be it writing a novel or you know I always say half the battle is writing the novel the other half of the battle is getting the 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 information or the you know the awareness out there that you know hey I have this and and trying to reach your target audience but uh the devil tr- uh excuse me just talking about the devil tree for so long but the cursed man stars Ruth Connell uh, from Supernatural fame, you have Jim Tavar from Harry Potter, you have Bram uh, Gallagher that has been in Striking Out, which was a very big show, popular in Ireland. He also did a cameo in the Game of Thrones, which was really cool. I was very proud of him and excited for him about that because that alone is like a huge accomplishment, in my opinion. And then you have Maritza Brickasack. Uh, she plays the role of death and she plays a dual role and Alistair's mother, Alistair is a guy that's locked inside of a mental institution and he believes he's cursed with the entity of death and anybody that talks to him dies within 24 hours and kudos to Jim Perry, the producer director of that film, because that story is so, so difficult because there's so many layers inside that story. It, that is an onion that just takes that, that was, that took me five years to write that book. So that's a labor of love for me, the, the cursed man and Jim Perry, when we were translating it and I was writing the screenplay and then he was writing his take back and then he would send it back to me and it was at like 180 pages. It's real interesting okay, cut 30 pages out. You're like, yeah, okay, like how am I going to do this? So there's been a lot of learning experiences for me um, and also seeing how some of the things in Hollywood, because both movies were shot in California, two different production companies, but uh, Jim Perry took on the first one and I, I feel that he did a really, really good job. And it was... 
you know, some somewheres along the way, you're listening to a producer that's telling you something that's that way they're going to portray something in the movie. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, well, how is that going to come across? You know, you're not really sure because they have to change things from the book and you have to be a little bit pliable as a writer and let go some of the babies that you really love in order for the producer to, to bring it to screen. And as Jim always says, you know, if I would have taken the whole book and I would have filmed it the way that it was exactly the way it would have, it would have been a perfect 12 hour movie. So you got to cut it down to 90 minutes and that's, 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 you know, an intense labor and it's very hard as a writer because you're so, so close, especially a writer that's involved in the screenwriting process, which I was on, on both films. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting, but it's also challenging in in a lot of different senses. And, uh, the second movie is The Lurking Man, and The Lurking Man right now – well, The Cursed Man, let me just say this, please, is that The Cursed Man right now is undergoing, as you said, consideration for distribution, and depending upon what the production company decides that's located in California is the direction that it's going to go. So I don't have control over that. That's totally up to the Intergalaxy Entertainment, which is – the film company that shot that and the second movie, which is the lurking man. I feel so blessed uh, to be a part of that project because that's a, uh, a film that one combined something oh. like 148 awards at the film festivals. And it really did a, a spectacular showing at these events and it's one of the most award-winning films in festival history and currently it is available on amazon prime and it's available on itunes and people should check it out it's a really amazing film and you can tell it's worth it's worth seeing not just because you wrote it but the performance by dan lynch as the serial is uh, incredible. Very, very strong. One of the stronger everybody in that uh, portrayal I've that ever film seen in the film. Yeah. 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 And everybody in that film from Maritza to, as you had mentioned, Daniel Lynch to Frank Krueger to Dorian Gregory, he was in Charmed. Uh, they all just really did a spectacular job. There's kids in there that really captured the essence of that book and that book the lurking man is i believe i've shared this with you before that one's really close to my heart because although again it's fiction it's based off of true events and it's based off of my mother's childhood and i interviewed my mother and i wanted to do her proud to tell her story and she was very very abused when she was a kid and she broke the cycle and I wanted to portray that in a story. And the story is, in my opinion, so, so powerful. And the ending really is a smack in the face, almost kind of reminiscent to me of The Sixth Sense. And I'm very, very crucial of my own work. As you well know, I'm always doubting whether or not a book is good enough to be published. And I'm just, I'm, pr- I'm very proud of that project. I'm very proud of The Cursed Man. I'm very proud of The Lurking Man. 
And I think if people are looking for an alternative or something to catapult off of the devil tree and they want to go into psychological suspense thriller where it's a, a brain beater and you're trying to figure out what's going on, that's absolutely a great suggestion to me to give them is go ahead and check out those books because they're really good. Yeah. A very strong body of work. Getting back to the devil tree, I, I know you have mm-hmm. uh, a paperback, you have an ebook, you also have an audio book out for that. Where can people yes. find your books and your audio books? Well, they could they could certainly find it directly from the publisher, Sunbury Press. Sunburypress.com. Yeah, like that. That's S-U-N. Yeah, Press.com. That's direct from the publisher. Of course, you could find it at Amazon, and so it's it's available worldwide. So they could find it at any bookstore. They they may have to ask for it. I don't know who carries it where. So if the store doesn't carry it, they could just request it, and they can always get it ordered. It's it's available worldwide. All all of my titles are available worldwide. So some of our listeners are in Port St. Lucie who uh, download this podcast. They want to get a hold of you to tell their experiences at the Devil Tree, or maybe they'd love to meet you there. How could they get a hold of you? What's the best way to do that? Very simple. KeithRommel.com. There's a contact page. Tell me who you are. Give me a phone number, and I will reach back. I always, I always get back to people. I love talking about it. I love interacting. I love hearing the different experiences and what people have heard about there, the legend and what quote-unquote their version is. I just find it to be very, very interesting. And I do want to say that in the audio book, I uh, took the labor of love a step further and I actually did the audio book myself. So again, it was uh, a labor of love and I felt like I needed to tell the story because you know, I, I wanted to do the voice of the narrator and I wanted to read it. And sorry, sorry about the, the uh, Long Island accent. I, I can't get rid of it. It, it comes with me, but <laughs> I think it came out really, really good. And uh, I'm really proud of that body of work too, of the audio book, because that was uh, a learning curve for me, as you well know. I had to learn how to do that and how to edit it and you know, uh, chop out all the little noises and little tongue clicks because it's amazing how these microphones just pick up every single thing that you do, everything. So it's, it's real interesting. Well, we're just about out of time. Got about a minute to go. Why don't you uh, just give us a quick update on what you're working on now? I am currently working on a new book called the weight of the soul. And this is another book that's very, very close to my heart, and I think it's going to pack a big, as big of a punch as The Lurking Man in the sense that my father passed away nine years ago, and hence the title, The Weight of the Soul. Um, it's, it's going to be a good one. It's going, to be a, uh, it's going to be a tearjerker, I think. But it's going to be in the vein of, of psychological suspense, but it's going to have the the heart strings in there too that it deserves. I guess you're also close and, to releasing uh, another Thanatology book. Yes. Um, I, I think we're hopefully within the next week or so we have the book of Sariel. And for those of you that check out 
the lurking man. You're going to come to know, as uh, Lawrence had said, you're going to come to know who Daniel Lynch was that played Sariel, and he's a, he's in my opinion, he's an iconic character. He's really cool. He is deaf, and he is not one-dimensional for sure. He's a three-dimensional character that has a plight that'll absolutely shake it to your core and make you go, oh, you know, this hasn't been told. This this version has not ever been told before. I try to take uniquenesses and put them into the story and not regurgitate. Also very important to me in the movies that we didn't do stereotypes or do, you know, that everything that's been done a million times before, I had to make sure that the story was being told the way that it was. And Jim Perry and Maritza Brickasack movie one and movie two cursed man and lurking man really shared that vision with me. And it made the work that much easier because they were, they were staying true to what it was and bringing these iconic in my mind again, because it's based off of true stories that come out of my family and friends and, and bringing that to life. It means a lot to me that, that we were able to, capture that essence and and like how you said it comes across on the screen and how Maritza played my grandmother and my grandfather just amazing so it was yeah. it was a dream come true and I'm still working on that with the producers so it's always a uh, a turning wheel it's a body of work that's uh, requires attention so I'll give it the attention that it needs until I can release meaning let go of whatever it is that I need to do and let it go where it may. All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. It was uh, great to talk to you about your body of work and specifically delving into the devil tree and, and its legends and, and your work there. Maybe there'll be a movie coming out about that one of these days. This has been the yeah, Book that... show. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I was just saying I hope that my version of, of the Devil Tree could be told on film as well. I think it's a worthy version of the story. So thanks for having me, Lawrence. Yep. Talk to you soon. This has been the Sunbury Press Bye-bye. Book Show. Uh, that was Keith Rummel, author of, the De- author of the Devil Tree and a number of other thriller novels. You can find him wherever books are sold. And also find him personally at keithrummel.com. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.